you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. and worship tonight. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, I am going to, the first verse I'm going to take you to tonight is Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Um, I have many, many verses tonight that I'm going to be bringing to you, so um, stay ready to move as I am giving you reference. If you're a note taker, I'll be giving you references um, as we move through this Bible study tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about relationship parallels, relationship parallels, and um, I feel the Lord is going to uh, help some of us maybe understand the importance of our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing, there's no relationship you'll have in this world that is any greater than the relationship of Jesus Christ. And the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ is paralleled in the relationship between a husband and a wife. And it is Christ and the church, his bride. And so there, there is a parallel there in relationship that I want to talk about tonight and help us understand um, understand the scripture and understand uh, the ultimate goal in, um, in our relationship. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 1, Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge. He that loveth instruction, loveth knowledge. Tonight I'm going to try to bring some instruction um, and that instruction is going to come through knowledge, through understanding. Now, of course, we, we talk a little bit about wisdom, and Proverbs is the wisdom book of the Bible. And when we talk about wisdom and growing in wisdom, um, wisdom is not education, it is not knowledge, wisdom is knowing how to use what knowledge or what education or what understanding that you have. And so first we must gain uh, knowledge, and we gain knowledge through loving instruction. And so therefore we have to desire instruction. How many of you know that you cannot teach an individual that is unwilling to learn? 
You ever try to, maybe it works, they put you working with somebody and you're supposed to train them, but they already know everything? It's impossible. You just have to step back and let them do their own thing, and if they make mistakes, you have to attempt to correct them. The love of instruction precedes the love of knowledge. And so those who love knowledge first have to love instruction. And so we have to understand even this this passage is not saying he that loveth understanding loveth understanding. That's not at all what it is saying. It is saying he that loveth instruction, he that loveth the instruction, the instructor, the information uh, is one that loves knowledge. So you can tell one who loves knowledge by how they respond to being given instruction. So our relationship with Christ leads us into a certain uniqueness, or the scripture uses this term, separation from the world. I'm going to help you a little bit tonight if you will stay with me. We're going to talk a little bit about this separation from the world or this uniqueness. One scripture says we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. That means there is something different about the people of God. There is a uniqueness or there is a separation. The scripture tells us to come out from among them, talking about the world, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. So that uniqueness or that separation is not intended, pay real close attention here as I lay this groundwork with what I want to talk to you about tonight, that, that uniqueness or that separation is not intended to create weird or strange views strange behaviors or indifferent lifestyles in uh, it, that is abstract in society. That, that's not it. We're missing that if we think the Word of God is calling us to be strange or to be, um, to be indifferent. Uh, that, that's not what the Scripture is calling us to. It is calling us to a separation from the world view and to put on Jesus Christ. Now, this groundwork must be laid before I get into the crux of what I want to say to you tonight. And, uh, of course, I could spend uh, three three nights probably teaching on what what I'm bringing to you right now as the groundwork for where, uh, that I'm laying for where we want to go tonight. And so this uniqueness that God is calling us to, He is calling us out of darkness, the lack of understanding, the lack of biblical knowledge, the lack of spiritual understanding. He's calling us out of darkness. And what's He calling us to? Into His marvelous light, His extravagant light. And so this idea is all through the Scripture. So when people, it, maybe you saw the Newsweek article uh, that was released yesterday, uh, very destructive to the church specifically, uh, to the apostolic church. 
um, detrimental article that was written, and it came and was birthed out of the lack of understanding uh, of Scripture. And so tonight, I, I want to spend a little time to talk to you about some of the behaviors of a child of God, the things that the church teaches, that, that the Bible says, uh, behaviors and lifestyles and attitudes and actions and responses. If I break it down and simplify it even more, talking about the things we do, the places we go, the way we act, the way we respond, the way we dress, our lifestyle. And so we could go on about all of these things that the Bible explicitly speaks into. And so with the Bible speaking into these things, we have to understand that the ultimate goal is not to create some, some weird, strange, abstract society. But the goal in our relationship is to develop commonalities with Jesus Christ and His church and His bride. Let me help you a little bit. The relationship of Christ and the church is paralleled in Scripture between the relationship between a husband and a wife. Understanding the relationship between a husband and a wife paralleled as Christ and the church. The goal in the relationship is to find commonalities with Christ as we would learn to find commonalities with each other. The very first night that my wife and I ever went out, it was not even an official date. We had a, an official date set for the, for the next night. We were very formal like that. We had an official date set. And the night before our official date, we were with a group of friends hanging out on campus and everybody started jumping in cars, leaving, and they were all going to meet up somewhere. And after everybody left, it ended up with nobody but Annette and I standing on the Texas Bible College campus at what we call the circle, which was the middle of the campus. And we're standing there kind of looking at one another. And I said, want to go join them? And she said, sure. We had a date already set, so the hard work was already done. That was getting the nerve to ask her out because I didn't think she liked me because, believe me, she didn't chase me. And so we got in the car, and we left and went and met up with everybody, and we talked on the way there, and we went and had a good time, and hung out with everybody, and then we drove back, and um, we had such a good time. And the conversation, the conversation the whole time was trying to get to know one another. See, all I knew was I liked what I saw, but I didn't know her. I had met her one time, but that was all that I knew was what little bit that I knew meeting her at a camp one night, and we had a short 
five, ten minute conversation. She was with her uncle, and she drove off riding in a car with the young evangelist. This is all I knew. I didn't know anything about her. I didn't know about her family. I didn't know about her church. And so the conversation starts. So tell me about your family. So tell me about your church. So tell me about your upbringing. So I want to know. And so I start asking questions. And she starts asking questions like, do you have a job? Do you use deodorant every day? Do you shower whether you need to or not? And so the list goes on and on and on. Because we are trying to understand and get to know one another. Because all we saw was there was an attraction. But there was no understanding. There was no knowledge. It was just an attraction. And so we had to get to know one another. See, don't find it strange when Christ gives this parallel between him and his bride, the church. That's you and I. So the bride is the whole, the sum of the church. We are the bride of Christ, uniquely the bride of Christ. And as individuals, then we have to look at ourselves in the developing relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is the first thing we need to do? We need to know about him. He needs to know about us. Now he already knows all things. I understand those things. But sometimes we need to hear ourselves tell him about our fears and tell him about our doubts. You see, I... I um, I was a reasonably intelligent young man and there were some things that I had already picked up just in the little bit that I had been around my wife. On the campus, I watched, believe me, I watched everything she did. It was the second day, the second day on, maybe, I think it was the second day. My memory is getting foggy now after 32 years, 33 years. My, my memory's getting foggy, but I remember, I remember the first time I saw her on the campgrounds in Arkansas with her uncle, and I remember the first time I saw her walk across the TBC uh, lawn as she was on her way, maybe to class, maybe to, I don't know what she, where she was on her way. I remember, and I remember she was with two other young ladies. I knew one of the young ladies she was with, and I did not know the third young lady that she was with, but she was walking across, and I looked, and I thought, what's she doing with them? My first thought, just being honest. And it was the only people on the campus that she knew, and so I'm standing there watching her walk across the campus and my friend Brian Labatt, many of you know him, pastor now, we're standing out together and I looked at Brother Labatt and I said, is that the girl from Arkansas? He said, you know, I think it is. Are you interested? No. 
I know one girl she's with. Who's the second girl that she's with? Immediately, I started wanting to know. Why is she with those people? Who is she with? What's she doing? I paid attention to the way she dressed. I paid attention to the way she talked to people, the way she encountered individuals. Finally got the nerve up to walk up and talk to her in a very awkward manner. I was interested. And I was trying to decide if she had the same interest. And the only way that I could figure out that she may have interest was when I asked her a question, she would ask me a question. When I would say, where are you from? She would tell me about where she's from, and then she would say, what about you? Tell me about your family. Tell me about your hobbies. Tell me about the things you like. So in relationship building, in your relationship with Christ, what we must recognize is that we need to learn about what he loves and what he hates, what he likes and what he dislikes. And as we learn what he likes, if we want this relationship with Christ to work, then we are going to have to adjust who we've been in all of our past life. Now we adjust who we are to be who he is wanting us to be. The moment that I really knew that she really liked me was when she said, what about ministry? What are your plans? And I said, I feel like maybe someday I may be a pastor. And she said, you know, I always felt like that I was going to be a pastor's wife. I mean, what, what if I would have said, you know, as soon as I get out of TBC, I'm going to finish my degree and I'm going to be an attorney. I think she would have said, you know, I always wanted to be a preacher attorney's wife. <laughs> Gentry and I were talking about this that this week a little bit. What do you want to be? Well, you know, I feel a call to missions. I do too. I love dogs. I do too. And so when she began to match my likes and began to say, oh, oh. Now, I didn't know that after that first official date, the second time we had been out on a date, that she had called her mom that night after getting back to the room and said, Mom, brace yourself. I went out on a date with a guy that I will marry. Is that right? She claims that. I don't know. We had figured out. I, didn't, I wasn't real sure she liked me until we got to the point that I saw her taking interest in all the things that I liked. And all the things that I desired. She began to ask me about relationships. She began to ask me about growth. She began to ask me about where are you going and what are you doing with your future. And so with that 
thought in mind in our walk with God, in our relationship with Christ, we must begin to love the things that God loves. It is the desire for us in our relationship, in that parallel. What does he desire from me? What is he looking for from me? What is he wanting from me? Because whatever it is that God loves, that's what I want to do. And what is it that God despises? Those are the things I need to understand. Maybe those are the things that I need to despise. So the idea here is learning to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. Let me take your attention to, I'm going to read this from the Message Bible in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. Relationships mature and develop because of common likes and dislikes. So you start out serving God. You start out following the Lord. Your goal, your goal must be, I need to get an understanding about what God loves and about what God hates. And that needs to be what I love and what I hate because I am in a relationship with him. So in your relationship, it's not, I don't really care what the Bible says. That's, that's not a desire for relationship. I don't really care what, uh, you ever seen people that, that that's how they are? I don't, I don't really care what the old lady wants. What's the first thought comes to mind when you hear that? Doesn't matter what the old man wants. That, that's not that's not somebody building a relationship. Somebody building a relationship are asking the right questions. What is it that he's looking for? What is it that she's looking for? What is it that she's wanting? See, and in that relationship between Christ and the church, husband and the wife, is that we must search diligently the scripture to say, oh, I'm seeing what he loves. He loves worship. Then I want to be a worshiper. He loves communication. I need to pray daily. He loves consistency and steadfastness. Then I need to walk consistently and steadfast with the Lord. So we, we must search to find the things that God loves. And then when we see the things that God hates, when we, when we are studying the scripture, when we're hearing a message preached, when we're in a Bible study and we begin to see things that God dislikes, then we must understand, hey, I'm seeing God despises this. God hates this. God abhors this. Then those are things that we must say, I need, I need to understand because I, I never felt that way before. But if I want to be in a relationship with him, I need, to, I need to know more about this because I need to match his like with my like and his dislike with my dislike. I just wonder what my wife would have said on that first night, that first date. If she said, what's your favorite food? And I would have said sardines. 
Because I said, well, you know, I like food. What do you like? She said, Italian. I said, so do I. What kind of music do you like? I don't even know if she said. I just said, so do I. Because I was trying to match that relationship. I was creating that parallel with, hey, look at all the things we have in common. Because I'm wanting to win her over. I'm wanting her to say, wow, hey, mom, we have so much in common. So the same is with our relationship with Christ. As we grow closer to Him and more like Him, we will understand more about what He likes and dislikes. That's why in our relationship with Christ, we must be very careful. When we see somebody that's just starting in their journey with the Lord, I don't expect them to have everything figured out that somebody that's been serving God for 10, 15, 20 years understands. You've had 20 years of relationship. You're understanding more. Your level, you, you've, been, you've been together a while. Some, some are just on their first or second date here. And so we've got to give them time to grow and develop and understand. But at the same time, they must be seeking to understand because when you seek, you will find. And so we've got to be inquiring. We've got to be seeking. An awareness, a keen awareness of those likes and dislikes will cause us to alter our behavior and our ideas. Do I need to slow that down for anybody? An awareness of what God likes and dislikes should cause us, the one desiring to be in this relationship with Christ, to alter our behavior, and even our ideas. When somebody says, well, that's just the way I see it. No, I want a relationship with him. I want to know what this says. I'm going to alter my ideas. I'm now not going to think the way I've thought for my, in, in all my life. I now want to think the way that he thinks because I want to have, I want to, you ever looked at somebody and said, I, I want to be in their head. I want the mind of Christ. And the only way you find that is by getting in this book and seeing what is it he loves, what is it that he desires, what is it he wants from us. So we began to change our habits and our actions to conform to behavior that is in harmony with his likes and dislikes, which are found in his word. So then it is not difficult. So people, I, you, you ever ran into somebody and they're like, oh boy, this was who I was. I tell you, it was really hard to give that life up. Not if you're in love with him. It's not hard to give that life up at all. When you're in love with him, it's kind of like, hey, that's the way I used to be. But you know that old temper, I got over it because I found out he doesn't like that. So it's not hard to adjust your behavior and even your ideas. Well, I tell you what, this is the way I've been my whole life. This is the way I've thought my whole life. This is what, this, it doesn't matter. Let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. I want to know what he likes. I want to see what he sees. I want to think like he thinks. And I want to, I want to get into the word and discover what is it he's speaking to me. What is it that he's wanting to say to me? If we're to be successful living for God, 
then we learn to love what he loves, hate what he say, what he hates. So the formidable challenge in loving those things is when we recognize that many of the things which God loves are clearly laid out in Scripture. Now, I, I don't have time tonight to go into all of the details, and so I'm just going to give you about three little points tonight and then let you get out of here. But you cannot be like Christ or have the mind of Christ and hate others. I'm going to let that set in for a minute. Because everything that I'm talking to you about tonight in our relationship with husband and wife, the parallel of husband and wife, and the parallel of Christ and the church, I want you to get this because we must also love other people because Christ loves other people. Okay, got your pens locked and loaded? Here we go. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. Verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So for the purpose of laying this foundation that we just laid to get to these three really quick points tonight, we're we're, going to look at three things that God loves. The first is God loves people. Not certain people. God loves humanity. God loves people. No scripture makes this any more clear than John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 further makes us aware that God doesn't hate people. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Had God hated people, he would have condemned humanity and offered no means for salvation. But he loved so much that he gave himself and made a means of salvation. God is not standing at the seat of judgment ready to rain down wrath upon people because of their failure. God loves all people, regardless of race, regardless of economic status, regardless of what part of the world they're from, hold on to your seatbelt right now, but regardless whether they are terrorists on the other side of the planet, he died for them as well. So we must be careful as we put on the mind of Christ to start judging everybody. And and really quickly, as we've been through some of the things we've seen on the media, in the media over the last little while, it's been real easy for people to become very strong and say, well, we ought to do this and we ought to do that. What would the Lord say? Had God hated people, he would have condemned all humanity. But God loves all people. God has, God has never been, nor will he ever be, subject to our biases and our prejudices that people have toward one another. In understanding Christ, in understanding what he likes, our biases and our prejudice must never come into play. 
because he loves everybody. Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, I perceive of a truth that God is of no respecter of persons. The scripture plainly tells us God is no respecter of persons. In other words, he loves everybody the same, and he wants to save everybody the same. If we're to love the things that God loves, then we must develop a love for all humanity. Civil wars, world wars, family disputes, riots, rebellions have all occurred because of one person or one group of people, one sect of people's unacceptance of another. Their view versus our view. But Calvary is cross-cultural. It's multinational. It's non-geographical. And it's multilinguistic. And it's that way for a reason. Because at the foot of the cross, there is nothing that separates one individual from another individual. He died for all humanity. It is not, it, it is not common ground in, in the hearts and in the minds of most people. But at the foot of the cross, it is common ground. It is a one-time sacrifice that happened for all humanity, for the world. And he loves everybody. God loves the sinner. And he wants to redeem all mankind regardless of their background, their creed, their culture, their biases, their prejudices. He loves the same. So the old saying is true. I get, I get weary sometimes with social media. I saw somebody the other day trying to bash on this whole idea. But I, I came back to it. Today in my study, and I, I had to as I had to get back here today, and I, I'm like I, I've been seeing this bias being promoted and being pushed, but I've got to come back today and tell you, God loves the sinner, but He hates the sin. God has the ability to differentiate between the person and the person's sin. Now I'm talking to you about getting the mind of Christ. I'm talking to you about about having a Christ-like view, loving like God loves, hating what God hates. God has the ability to differentiate between the human soul that needs salvation and the sin that they are involved in. So when you're with somebody, around somebody, no matter how deep, how dark, what lifestyle, no matter what you are looking at, what you are dealing with, Understand, God has the ability to, to differentiate between the soul that needs salvation and all their choices. And so if we want to be like him as the bride of Christ, if we want to love what he loves and hate what he hates, we must understand, I never have to agree with the lifestyle, never have to agree with the sin, never have to get involved in the sin, but I've got to love them the same way Jesus Christ loved them. Let's bring it home a little bit. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the saved church? No, he died for the ungodly. That means you and I. While we were yet in our sins, he died for not after we became perfect, not after you came and repented and said, oh, I've been wrong all this time, now I've got to change, and once I get changed, then God's going to love me. He never loves you anymore. The difference is us. 
it's when we decide we love him enough to change our views, to change our ways, to change our thoughts, to change our actions. God loves the sinner in spite of their sin. He loves us while we are in our sin. But at no time does God ever condone or agree with sin. So he has the ability to do what we struggle to do, and that is differentiate between the sinner and the sin. When we love the sinner the way that God loves them, then their sin will not keep us from reaching to them and us drawing close to them. So here's the idea. Even in Jesus' day, they said, is this man, he's eating with sinners. He had a relationship with sinners. Omar, not everybody knows the background. Not everybody knows some things that you've shared with me, some of the places that you've come from, some of the things that God's brought you from. But a few days ago, as we, as we were at a, at a uh, I'm not sure what to call it, uh, a recovery center, a rehab center, and people are coming by, and to watch how just the unconditional love was just kind of flowing out there, and they were how, how people were responding to one another. And I'm thinking, I wonder how the Lord really feels. When we become pious and say, well, we, we're not going to associate with that because I don't approve of that lifestyle. Jesus ate with sinners, meaning that he went to where they were. Is this too strong for you tonight? We, we've got to get to the point where we love the sinner enough that we can be in the middle of their situation. I'm not affected by what they're doing. I'm not drawn to what they're doing. But I'm drawn to the soul and I'm going to pull them out and believe that God is going. I'm going to plant the seed for God to do a work of redemption in their life. Jesus never asked for a person to be righteous before he would love them or help them. He transformed the woman at the well while she was living in adultery. He reached out to lepers who were a stigma in society. He reached out to them while they were still lepers. He healed a woman with an issue of blood, even though she would have been considered ceremonial, unclean. Yet he reached out to her. He conversed with a man possessed of leg with legions of devils, numerous devils, a lot of devils. He conversed with that man. Not after the man was delivered, but he conversed with him when he came running with the demons tormenting him. God has always loved people regardless of their condition because he looks at the need of the soul. Our goal as, a, as people of God should be to love as strongly and indiscriminately as Jesus did. We should greet all sinners with open arms. I'm going to say it again. We ought to greet everybody. No lifestyle keeps me from saying, come on, come on home. I have people say all the time, can I come to your church How I don't even want them to finish. Come on in, come on in, come on in. Just like you are, come on in, come on in. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to just come on in, come on in. Let God do the work. When somebody that's way away from God walks into the house of God, they ought to not feel judgment and condemnation. They ought to feel the mercy and the love of the church. 
the compassion and the acceptance of the church, not the acceptance of their lifestyle or their sin, but the acceptance of the soul. Especially in the house of God. This ought to be a healing place. This ought to be a restoration place. This ought to be the place that they run to. Our youth are in tonight because of sickness and they they have to sit in and tolerate their pastor preaching tonight. But I don't ever want them to feel like i got to go find some place that will love me, some place that will care. I want this to be the place that regardless if they make a mistake, if they fail, if they fall, if they slip, come on, come on, come on, come on. We love you here. We'll pray with you here. The children that are in classrooms tonight, I don't want them to grow up being obstinate. This ought to be the place that, oh, if I can just get to the house of God. There's love there. There's peace there. When I became the pastor of this church, I got me a big old bowl and started putting candy in. I went into my office the other day. About five or six kids were in because one of my little relatives knew where my stash of chocolate was. And he invited all of his friends up. And they were just having a little heyday. I went in and said, well, let's clean this up. And y'all go on back down. I got to have my office back, but thank you. Somebody said, well, did you run them out? And did you get, no, I didn't. I want them to feel comfortable being able to walk into my office. I don't want them to fear that. Sure, I'll get there in a few minutes. I don't want them to fear the house of God. Well, I don't, I don't know. I talked to somebody this past week, and they said, well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I know I need to come to church. But, and they kept looking up and said, I don't know if these rafters will stay up. I said, come on back. These, these rafters are going to stay up. You don't have anything to worry about. The judgment of God's not going to fall on you because you walk in the house of God. This is a place of mercy. This is a place of restoration because God loves people. Oh, i got to move. I'm almost out of time here. God loves his church. Number two, God loves his church. We're talking about things God loves is that we ought to love. If we want to love what God loves, we love people. Second thing, God loves his church. It's interesting to note that in a premier passage concerning God's feeling for the church, he uses marriage relationship as a type of his relationship. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 32, I'm not going to read it, Sister Shauna, for time's sake. But he speaks to the wife submitting to the husband and the husband honoring the wife. I didn't write this, ladies. In this text, we find a description of the incredible relationship between Christ and his church. In order to to be pleasing to God, I believe that we have to love the church. I'm going to say it one more time because I really do believe this. In order to be pleasing to God, we have to love the church. No, that was just for for Christ to love the church. Let me just say this. Those who fight against the church and the things of the church... You understand, you're fighting against his bride. That's not a smart move. You want to pick a fight with a man, go go start talking about his bride. Go start slandering his bride. Come on, do, do do, do I need to stop here? I hope that's not a stump I feel that I'm hitting as I'm plowing. 
the Lord was instructing the disciples concerning evangelism, he informed them as to what one of the strongest indications of discipleship would be. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I'm going to come strong for just a moment, but I'm going to tell you that you can't, this is what the Bible says, you can't love God whom you have not seen if you can't love your brother whom you have seen. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, he that loveth another or one another hath fulfilled the law. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, but touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, seeing that you have purified your souls in, in obeying the truth through the Spirit to unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love. That You know what he's saying here? See that ye love one another. Work at loving one another with a pure heart fervently. I know some people are harder to love than others. My poor wife has made it 31 years, but she's done a good job. Took a lot of work. Some people are harder to love than others, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible said. Work at it. Work at it. Have a pure heart and work fervently toward loving one another because that is the commandment of Christ. Well, I don't really get along with them. Then work at it. Work at it. 1 John chapter 4, beloved, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. What makes God's love perfect in us? If we love one another. This isn't my words, this is His words. Our love for one another is not based on bias or prejudice or agreements or disagreements. We're not given liberty by God to selectively love certain people in the church. Well, this is my little group, and that's my little group. I understand we may have commonalities. I understand we may have interests. That's why we have small groups to get together and do certain things together that, that, that somebody else likes. You don't have to see eye to eye on every issue to love one another and to respect one another. You all know how I feel about this and social media when it comes to election time. I've never in my life seen the church so divided. It's blue against red and it's... The church needs to be together. Put our biases aside. Leave something at home. Just because you may feel some ways, you may not need to speak everything you feel. If the disciples in their day would be known for their love for one another, then I believe the church is known for its love 
for one another. I had somebody come to me the other day, made a statement to me and said, um, I'm going to ask you a question. Does so-and-so attend your church? And I said, I don't know who you're talking about. I, I'm not sure. And they just made a statement to me. And it was kind of a blanket statement about their opinion. They said, well, I, I am just going to tell you this, that if they do, I have no desire to be part of your church. I kind of looked at them and I said, well, don't judge me because I have no idea what you're talking about or who you're talking about or what's going on. And he said, well, just let me tell you, the person that I'm re referencing, he said, they are the rudest individual I have ever met in my life. And if they are what represents your church, I don't want to be part of that. And I said, I can promise you this much. That doesn't represent my church nor the bride of Christ. Because the bride of Christ loves one another. So you don't have to see eye to eye. Let me move. A mature Christian possesses a nature of love toward fellow believers. This is developed through the understanding that we have that if we love one another, we must know one another. We need to get to know one another. I already have people running the aisles tonight while I'm teaching. I don't know when a Wednesday night I've had that happen. Praise God. I need to dismiss and send y'all home. I'm feeling pretty good about my job tonight. Let me rush on. Your closest friends ought to be in the church. Your best fellowship ought to be with church folks. Your strongest defense ought to be for those in the church. All too often we have churches full of acquaintances, but not people with a relationship with one another. We love God more because we know more about Him. You want a relationship with the people in the church? Get to know more about them. Couldn't tell you the number of times in my years of pastoring, I've had people come to me and say, well, I just don't feel like I'm part of the church. And I say, well, stop showing up to church late and leaving early and expecting to get to know the people you're worshiping with. Hang out a little bit. Spend a little time. Ask them out to dinner. Ask where they're going to dinner. Ask if you can go along with them. Have them over. Fellowship. So I believe God loves the physical church. In the Old Testament, this, this first becomes evident to us in the construction of the Old Testament tabernacle. My goodness, I've got to hurry and choose what I'm going to, how I'm going to try to get to the end. Y'all pray for me right now, if you would. Lord, I need your help right now. I should have stopped while I had people running the aisles. The Old Testament tabernacle was built out of the finest building materials. Everything was lovingly crafted according to God's design. It was meticulously maintained. It was a holy place where holy actions took place. Had the place not been acceptable in the eyes of God, then the sacrifices and the worship that happened there would not have been acceptable to God either. And the Old Testament tabernacle is a type and shadow of what is to come. In some ways, it's a pattern of the New Testament church. I believe that God is still concerned about even the place that we gather to worship. 
I talked to you the other night about forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together. Tonight I'm going to talk about a little bit about reverencing the house of worship. We should have an incredible respect or reverence for the house of God. There's some things that we just ought to not do in the house of God. No, it isn't surrounded by animal skins and gold furniture and 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 neither is there incense and 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 candles and showbread but it but it's still the place where the glory of God comes and meets with his people it's still the place of death and atonement we die out to our sins and they are atoned by the blood of Jesus it's still the place where God chooses to gather his people together for the purpose of prayer and worship and fellowship It's still the place where ministry happens. So this place, this house, this house should also be reverenced. Our behavior toward the house of God ought to be motivated out of love. Whether we're having a work day and changing the never-ending array of light bulbs that go out in this place, or mowing the lawn, Every time I drive by, Brother Dan and Brother Phil's up here mowing and working and laboring. I thank God for them. So whatever we do, must it must not be done out of, uh, oh, another work night. Oh, more labor. Oh, another class to teach. Oh, another Bible study. Oh, another floor to sweep. Oh, it, it, we must be careful not to get that mentality and say, oh, it's the house of God. I love it. He loves it. I love it. It's where I want to be. I've got to wrap this up. Number three, God loves righteous judgment. While God is a God of love, we must never forget that God is also a God of judgment. No parent can hope to raise a child with love alone. There must also be a a, a firm affirmation and yet a firm and fair discipline. There must be balance to that. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He's going to give correction to you. Not everything that is preached from this pulpit, you're going to go, Oh, goody, I love it. It's great. It makes me want to run the aisles. Sometimes you're going to say, Ouch, it makes me get on my knees and search my soul. Without love and judgment working together, our life will get out of balance. So we've got to have love, but we also have to have correction. For the Lord, Psalm 37, 28, For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. As difficult as it may be to understand, we must learn to love the judgment and correction of the Lord. We often resist correction that God has given us, when it, particularly when it causes us to change, when it causes us to change our life, change our view, see it differently. When the Word of God is preached or taught that cuts in, when we oh, I see it in Scripture, but I don't necessarily enjoy it, we've got to learn to say, that is for my own good. We have to be thankful that God loves us enough to leave us His Word to give correction to us. I'm not worried about man's judgment, but I want to judge my life according to the mirror of the Word of God. Before God activates righteous judgment in our lives, often people override conviction, ignore biblical chastisement, 
and reject the rebuke of spiritual authority, even if it's through preaching and teaching. We must be careful to understand that God has a whole array of ways that He is trying to speak into our life. When you hear something and over and over again you're hearing it preached and you're hearing it taught and you're, you're, the Word of God is coming forth or however God is speaking to you, whether it's a song that He's speaking to you or a message that He's speaking to you or in your Bible study time something keeps jumping out, you need to pause and say, God, you're speaking to me. I need to learn how to adjust Help me understand how to adjust to match what you love and to hate what you hate. Through God's righteous judgment, the correction of God will spare our soul from deception that keeps us from the path of eternal life. I'm closing. Cheryl, if you want to come. So in full circle tonight, our goal must be to study God's Word with a desire to understand what is, what is He like. I'm in relationship with Him. I want to know about Him. And I want Him to know about me. And so therefore, I bring my needs and my burdens to Him. Somebody said, well, God already knows. No reason for me to pray. He already understands. He already knows. No, sometimes we need to hear ourselves say it. I had somebody ask me one time, whether it's a habit whatever you want to call it. My dad always did it, and I always tried to do it. Rarely do I hang up the phone from talking to one of my kids or talking to my wife. Even if I've talked to them two or three times and I'm going to see them again that day, I start to hang up and I say, I love you. I've had people say, why do you do that? Isn't that just, sometimes I just need to hear myself say it. I need to be reminded I love them. That's why I'm out working. I love them. That's why I'm sacrificing. I love them. Maybe every conversation is not wonderful. Maybe some are a little stressful. Maybe some, but I need them to hear. I love you. That's why when we enter into the house of the Lord, does God need to hear that we love Him? He inhabits the praises of His people. Yes, He does. But sometimes we need to enter into the house of the Lord and just let our soul begin to speak to Him and remind ourselves. Let us hear our own self saying, God, I love you. God, you mean so much to me. All the things in the world that I'm attached to, all the, 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 the stuff and all of the things and all of the views and all of the habits, I've been connected to those things all my life. But now that you're working in my life, God, I want to change. I, I don't want to be that person. I, I don't want to be that anymore. I, I want to I be more like you. You don't want to be like me. I've had people say, oh, Pastor, I want to be like you. I found out Sunday, one of the little guys, Hector Jr., he came up to me out in the parking lot. He said, what's your name? And I said, I don't know. What's your name? He said, is it Alan Hector Allen Jr.? Is that right? He said, Hector Allen Jr. I said, oh, that's a good name. You're named after your dad. I said, you know what my name is? He said, mm-hmm, Jesus. I said, you're not even close. You don't need to preach your religion. You don't want to. It's all right. I love you. 
I hope you love me. But we need to get in the book and say, I, I want to know what he says and what he wants and what he desires. And my desire needs to be to love him and to be like him. So we have to study God's word, desire to understand what he loves and what he hates, and try to match that and let that be the parallel of my life because we are his bride. He loves us. He loved us so much that just before he departed, he, he took a vow and he said, if I go away, I'm going to come again and I'm going to receive you unto myself. He went to prepare a place for us. He went to build a house. He went to build a habitation for his bride. But he's coming back. And when he comes back, I want him to find a bride. And I want to be part of that bride. And in the meantime, I'm going to be studying what he loves. I'm going to be considering the things that he hates. And I'm going to be saying, mm. I don't want him to get back and say, oh, I never knew you. I want him to get back and say, mm-hmm. I know who you are because you've been in the word. You've been trying to form yourself into the image of who I love. Stand with me all over this building tonight. God bless you. Thank you for being here on this Wednesday evening. If you need to depart, I understand. But just for a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward, gather in just for a moment and just, just for a couple of minutes here and just come and say, God, I'm coming tonight just to pour myself out afresh and anew to you. God, I want to be what you're calling me to be. Develop things in me. Grow things in me. Come on, talk to the Lord. Oh, yeah. Everything.